On this edition of the Deseret News Youth Insiders podcast, we look at basketball and football, and we have a special guest this week, Steve Tate, and we're going to talk about the most important thing, the Hayes Tough Foundation. That and more on the Deseret News Youth Insiders podcast. I'm Steve Tate, and you're listening to the Deseret News Ute Insiders Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Deseret News Ute Insiders Podcast. I'm Dirk Facer, joined by my colleagues Mike Sorensen and Jody Genesee, and a special guest this week, former Ute safety Steve Tate. Steve, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's good to have you here. Hey, we're going to talk a little basketball first, and Mike Sorensen's our expert on basketball right now. What the heck is wrong with the Utes on the road? 0-9 in Pac-12 play this year on the road. Man, I seem like I've seen this over and over and over again this year. Another <laughs> loss on the road. and this time, Nine times. <laughs> at least they were a little close this time. They had a chance to win both games, well, at least to tie the first game against Stanford. They, were, they got in a huge hole, as usual, down 18 points the first half, and they came back within three and had two three-pointers they could have tied it and maybe sent it overtime. Then against Cal, who is not a, you know, they're not a great team, but Utah hung with them. They were within four or five points the whole game. And all of a sudden in the last minute, they tie it up and go into overtime, and then in overtime, they just didn't have it. But yeah, it's just the same old story. They just, uh, they're a young team, and they just don't know how to win on the road. But this, at this point of the season, though, I mean, they can we keep calling them a young team? I mean, these are freshmen, that, but they're at the end of their freshman season. I mean, yeah, but I know still, that's a handy yeah. excuse, but all the juniors and seniors are at the end of their season too. So, so they're, they're super they're, seniors they're, now. Yeah, right. So they're still way younger than <laughs> no, other opponents. But, I uh, get that. It's just frustrating to see that it seems like that they haven't made any progress in that area. And and I've been like been at their. I've had their back all season about being young, and I like this team. I like their future. It's just frustrating to see that they can't get over that hurdle. Hey, you don't have to watch every game like I do in person. So. <laughs> hey, you get paid to, though, so that's a bonus. <laughs> no, it's just, uh, yeah, they've uh, they've kind of backslided a little bit. You know, the coach today was talking about how, you know, for once they didn't really show the effort that they have in on past games, and he was a little bit uh, a little more negative than usual in the last two days when he had his comments about the, the team. So um, he's been a little frustrated, but he said they still have one more chance this week to win a game, and then they got Vegas next week, and he's still hopeful they can win a couple more games. Well, Steve, uh, save it be intramurals that the rest of us played in college. You were student athlete in college what's the difference between the road and home is it is there a huge difference as far as a mindset or how can a team go 0-9 on the road and, and be so good at home yeah you know I, I think it, it, it perhaps plays more of a role in, in I'd say maybe in basketball more so than football I think I think it, uh, home court advantage in basketball is, is everything and momentum sways so easily in basketball um, and you can go on you can go on runs and, and, and it's harder to make stops if you're an opposing team you know with, with the fans there and uh, certain arenas kind of breed that as well so I I don't know. I think um, when you when you look at that when you look at that team, you know, and we mentioned the youth. I, I, that's really a sign of of that immaturity. You know, guys that haven't been there. You know, you're not sleeping in your bed. You're, you're you've got to you know you're hurrying to make up all your all your all your schoolwork before you leave on the road trips. Your mindset's different. So it is. It's an adjustment. I think that's the biggest thing is perhaps mentally. Um, you know, and some some young younger kids don't thrive in in, in situations and in, in hostile environments. And and you know, uh, it's not like they. I don't think they're playing. Obviously, they're not playing at Duke or you know hostility. But yeah, it's some of these young players still got to learn how to play 
in in these environments that they're not used to and I think there's some carryover to that and you know uh shoot I don't envy that coaching staff to try to figure it out and that's for sure well, the that, good news is they have one home game left right. and then at neutral sites and they've excelled at the neutral sites at least before Pac-12 play when they had some but well especially in that arena right they, Mike they beat Kentucky in that arena yeah and Kentucky well, they're back in the top 10 so you know I think uh that's got to be a positive for them just to be playing in a familiar place where they did have success earlier this year Hey, Steve, before we move on, during your time with Utah after transferring from Utah State that year, kind of a veteran leader on that team, was there anything when you guys went on the road that you kind of had to take the younger guys under your wing, the, the veterans of a team on the road and say, this is a business trip, this isn't a fun trip? I know going to Laramie, Wyoming isn't necessarily a uh, business trip, right. but it is. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have the temptations in Laramie, Wyoming, <laughs> you know, as they have going to UCLA or whatnot. I, I, I think you, you, you know, you established that through the, through the season through the offseason um you know it being a leader on that team you know it was always kind of our duties to to keep them in line so I think there is a lot to that you don't have that you know it's it's no different than you look at uh any team really you look at the jazz right you, they always want to bring in that that senior leader for those situations perhaps when they, the team goes on a little bit of a skid like we've seen the jazz and and veterans know how to handle those situations so I think it's similar you know Utah right right now doesn't have a guy like that to, to really rally the the other kids and but it there is something to that you know the jazz when they brought back Raja Bell I mean you see it over and over guys that can handle some of those ups and downs and ebbs and flows in the locker room and and really take the young guys aside and and show them how it's done I think maybe the best example of that with the jazz was the Ty Corbin era where he had some really exciting young talent Gordon Hayward and and some other younger guys that you know even Rudy Gobert but he kind of leaned towards the Richard Jeffersons and and the guys that had been there and done that and they weren't good enough to get them very far into the playoffs or even to the playoffs the, the particular year that I'm thinking of but it's easy for a coach to just lean on those veteran guys yeah and I think that's where this is where coach Kristoviak does deserve some constructive criticism mm-hmm. I'll say it uh, just for not having enough juniors yeah. and seniors on this particular team when they needed it. Next year, I think they'll be fine. I, better than fine. I think they're going to be an excellent team next year. But this particular year, uh, not having those upperclassmen, I think, really hurt. Hey, Mike, let's talk about the Pac-12 tournament seedings. I know things are quite jumbled up at this point. What do you see as the likely scenario? What they'll be seeded, who they'll play, and what road uh, or path will it take for them to get to well, the we know for the first time in was it five years they won't have that first round bye and they've lost three in a row in that one so which that's, sends you to Vegas a day earlier than normal right well yeah I mean but it's uh, might be gone earlier too but uh, <laughs> no it's uh, I've been thinking all along eight versus nine but if they lose to Colorado they're more likely to be ten or eleven what they have to do it's kind of complicated but I kind of figured it out that they need to if they beat Colorado if Cal who they lost to last week Cal's got to lose two games and then. Uh, Oregon State and Washington State are behind Utah. They can't win one or two games either. So Utah can tie for eighth and get that eighth spot and be in the 8-9 game if they win. If they don't win, they're pretty much relegated well, they to They get to wear the white jerseys that's at right. the eight, and, yeah. they, and they get to play at noon. They get the first game and then... Um, you could be on a plane by three. Yeah, that's right. Or the team, yeah, all the fans could be gone or else they'll get to come back the next day and play the number one seed. You know, that's who they would get uh, matched up with if they win. So, um, But if they lose, then it looks like they're going to probably be number 10 or 11 even. 
that would be uh, not the best one. I mean, all those teams at the top are about the same, so I don't think it matters really who they play the next time. But the bad news about being number 11 or number 10 is that you'd have to play someone like Stanford or USC, who are a lot better than these other teams like uh, Washington State and Oregon State, who you might get in the 8-9 game. So it really would help Utah to win this game, and they'd probably get an 8 or 9 seed and then have a, a better chance of winning their first game and then going on to play the number one seed. And then who knows what could happen at that point. But because that coach thinks he can beat anybody in the league, they've stayed with a lot of these teams this year. There's not one outstanding team in the league. There's a lot of really good teams. So that's kind of the best scenario is that they're going to be somewhere between eight and 11, uh, win eight or nine if I lose 10 or 11, basically. I went through and I, I broke it. I broke down the entire conference. You want to hear what it's going to end up being? This is my prediction. I've got it here in the list. I'm I don't expert. recall putting a quarter in the machine, but yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I was really bored this morning, so I, I went through and, and extensively looked at the rest of the schedule for every single team in the Pac-12. So at the top, I have it predicted that Oregon and UCLA are going to be uh, tied at 13-5, and five, but the Ducks trounce the Bruins, and they're only meeting, so they'll get the number one seed. At number three, you're going to have Arizona State at 12-6. and Arizona is going to round out the, the top four at uh, number four, 11-7, so they'll get the buys. Number five and six will be Colorado, seven USC. Cal is going to end up eight and ten. The Utes are going to lose to Colorado, but they're still going to end up with the ninth seed because they're going to be tied with number 10 and 11 Oregon State and Washington State. But because Utah had a better record with within those three teams, they're going to get the top seed between those three. And then Washington is going to round it out at number 12. Boom. That's it. That's you, you the pack. You Stanford. You forgot all about Stanford. Forgot about, oh, Stanford uh, is tied with Colorado at uh, five and six, but Colorado gets the edge there in the tiebreaker, so Stanford will be six. Mike, uh, Colorado. So that puts Cal versus Utah in the, the first round, eight versus nine. Do you, th- do you think there are any tickets available? Can you still buy tickets at this point? <laughs> I'm guessing you probably can buy a lot of tickets at this point. There'll be less this year because Arizona's good. Remember last year Arizona was bad, and Arizona probably has half the fans that go to that to this tournament. And so uh, there'll be a lot more fans this year. Nicomania. Yep. That's a, Mike, uh, Colorado, obviously a very talented team, but they're kind of skidding to the finish line here. Are they going to come in a little angry Saturday? This- yeah, I, I feel sorry for the Utes in that regard because they that was Utah's worst loss of the year. They lost by 39 points, and that was just an awful— And you saw an uglier uh, game than that in Boulder once. Yes, I saw. Well, it was yeah, 40 points. But anyway, yeah, that was a bad loss, and uh, and this team really just out-physicaled Utah. They just looked like men against boys, which has been the case in a lot of games this year. But um, in that game in particular, they just dominated Utah from start to finish, and Utah was never in the game. And now they've lost the last— Couple of games, um, three in a row, I guess. So they're going to be really mad. They were they were in position to win the whole thing. Right. And now they could, like Jody was saying, they could be number five, six, or seven. And so um, this, they're going to be kind of angry. And I think Utah's going to have their hands full this weekend. Guys, how restless do you think Utah fans are? We talked about this a little earlier. Jody mentioned that they're a young team, but they should have come of age a little bit as the seasons progressed. Steve, how about your perspective from an outsider? I mean, do you think Utah fans are getting frustrated because they're used to good basketball? And then for yeah, I mean, years? I'm, I'm considered one of those fans, right? I'm a, I, I grew up actually season ticket holder of Utah basketball. I was a, I was a uh, ball boy there for oh, a little sweet. while. Yeah, I was a, so uh, a big basketball fan. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think I think fans are restless. You know, I'm on Twitter. I, I see what uh, kind of what the what the feeling is. I think pe- people are patient in general, of course, with this uh, young team. 
I think, as kind of Jody mentioned, I think at one point, though, you, you can't give that. You know, it's hard to use that as an excuse because that's, you know, Coach Krzyzewski's own, his own fault, right? And not having those upperclassmen or having those transfers year in and year out. And I think I think that's a little bit of a, well, not to say red flag, but, you know, it, I know the common approach nowadays in in basketball and football is is the transfer rule. So that's it's, it's not just happening at Utah, but the consistency at which it's happening at Utah is is what's alarming and and uh, I think Utah fans have got to see this team progress uh, they want to see this team progress more importantly I think they want to see this team remain intact more transfers perhaps after this year could raise more red flags and concerns for Utah fans. So I think right now, uh, I, I think it's safe to say that he is a little bit on the hot seat as far as patience goes with, with the fan base. Mike, uh, they've got a big recruiting class coming in next year, highly touted recruiting class. However, there's only one senior that's departing, senior day. So there are going to be some people that are leaving the program again this year, isn't there? Well, yeah, but I think the guys that will be leaving will be guys that have not really played this year because they've – I'm – you know, I can't say for sure, but I think the top five or six guys are pretty solid to return, just from what I can tell. A lot of them are local kids, you know, who you know don't have anywhere else maybe that they they are needing are going to go. And uh, and guys like Timmy Allen seem pretty solid, like he's going to stay. You never know. I mean, nobody expected what happened last year with a couple of guys leaving, Jace Johnson, you know, and Donnie Tillman. But um, I think these guys are coming back. They got Ian Martinez coming back, coming in, great shooter. Caleb Loners, another you know highly touted. These are both top 100 guys. Uh, Pell Larson and the guy from Sweden, I believe. And so they got some really good talent. And so I think I think this year, as fans might be a little disappointed, but in some ways, Utah is their own worst enemy by beating Kentucky and BYU and Minnesota early. You know, at the start of the year, if you said Utah's going to be 15 and 15 this year, a lot of people said, well, that'd be great, you know, with this all-freshman team and all sophomores. But and they got so they got ahead of the curve so much that now when they start losing, everybody's going, what's happening to this team? We thought they were going to be great. So I think that kind of hurt them just by overperforming early in the year. So, you know, I kind of think that the coach, you know, is not going to be on the hot seat right after the season because they're not going to break everything up and start over and all these guys might transfer and then you have three or four years of, you know, starting over and have a problem. So I think they'll let this class come in next year. And if they have another losing season next year, it could be a real problem. He's signed through 2023, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe so. that's a long contract. Yeah, that's, a, that's a huge that's a buyout. lot of money to to buy him I mean, out. Each so. year it gets less and less, though. So <laughs> that's why next year may be more likely than this year. You still. did a nice story on Ian Martinez. Uh, you visited with him. I believe yeah, he's a good, nice, nice he's, young man. And I'm excited to see him he's play. Supposed to be a great shooter. Yeah. Is he a guy that can come in and and contribute right off the bat? Do you think? I would think the biggest problem they've had this year is really has been outside shooting. So if he's a great shooter, that he could he could easily be a, a starter next year along with this loner. You know, they both are very good shooter so that's been their biggest problem and so it very well could well and bottom line though i mean you talk about guys that are probably going to leave some people do have to leave the program to fit the new class in so people shouldn't be alarmed when they hear that there's some departures at the yeah, end of the season yeah but it might be like but brooks it, king who people have never heard of right. before you but know, people they, they go tend to throw that on the pile and say now there's 17 guys that have left well they in four might years. but then on the other hand if a guy like him leaves that has never played a minute hardly right. people just say oh i don't remember that guy mm-hmm. so but yeah definitely they're going to have to have three or four guys that are just going to have to move on or whatever 
But there is attrition like that at every school every year with players that just can't – that aren't good enough. And so, I mean, that's like, – like you said, Derek, people might pile on, but it doesn't matter essentially. It matters who stays and, and if they can deliver a, a better product than they had this year. I mean, the thing that – like they were in a lot of these games. They played Oregon really well in Salt Lake. I mean, mm-hmm. and now they UCLA, they've been there with a lot of these really good teams. They had some excellent victories. So they have the potential. Just There's just that – that it factor that's missing. They're missing the X factor, let's call it. All right. Well, let's get in Steve's wheelhouse here. Let's talk some football, guys. First day of uh, spring camp was uh, Monday, and the uh, youths didn't show a lot to the fans that were there, obviously. It was more or less uh, just getting out there. Steve, do you remember the first day of spring ball? Is it more or less just getting out on the field? I mean, nobody's really going to show what they can do, can they? No, not the first day. Um you know, the, 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 there's a, kind of a, a a period, especially when you get into the into the uh, scrimmages when you have your chance. But you know, that first day you're going over some of the special teams and then individual, and then you you do some teamwork as well. But uh, really, for guys to show kind of what they have is in those those scrimmages. But it's it's big. I mean, screen, spring ball is, is huge for guys that are fighting for positions. Uh, it, it's it's really the time for them to, to shine, and they they're getting the reps. And uh, yeah, I remember my first spring ball with. Uh, when I had transferred, I was I was I was coming off my mission, and my first spring ball was it was an eye opening experience with Urban. You know, it was it, it was uh, it was hard, it was difficult, it was a it was a grind, and he played the mental game more than anything. You know, and yeah. asking him what my name was and what position I played, and, <laughs> I mean, you name it, and it was just like what and what is going on? You should here? have asked him what his yeah, name was. Come on, who are you? You recruited me. <laughs> yeah, I remember he stopped practice in the middle. I remember there was this one time where I, I didn't come to balance and on this tackle. And it was just a tag off. We weren't actually hitting. It was just to show that you're in good position. You still wanted you to break down, and and I guess I had done it, you know, kind of and lazy if you want to if you want to use that term. So he and then he stops, Brack blows the whistle, and asks who I was, what my name was, who my coach <laughs> was. And this is that's in the whole. You have all the teammates just looking at you like, who is this guy? You know. And of course, I my confidence at this point, I was off my mission for like two months. My confidence was I was still trying to find my my confidence because my legs were scrawny. You know, I still had some South American accent. It was like, what is going on? So uh, spring ball, it, it was it was a good opportunity, you know, for me to jump in and, and find where I fit. And there's going to be a lot of kids that are trying to do that and fight, fight for position. It's going to be particularly interesting, though, with um, that, that quarterback group. You know, I mean, that's what I'm, I'm intrigued by. Uh, having a senior in Huntley, there's some value in that. And not not just a senior, a guy that's been through the program, and, and you know now the new trend is go basically get your senior right with these 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 transfers, and and it's obviously worked. Look at Oklahoma, and you know guys can jump into that spot really well for the most part. But again, uh, a lot of those guys are jumping in a, in a system that's been in in place for a long time, and you know this will be the second year, obviously, uh, going in with this offensive staff, and and so a guy like you know, a guy like Cameron Rising coming in and, and being able to jump into that, uh, it depends so, how, a lot on the guys around him, you know, and uh, so much of, of success in football, both on offense and defense, comes from from systems, being part of a system. And, you know, Ludwig established that last year, and can you continue that forward through this year? Is a, it's a big question mark, obviously. Do you think they'd rather have a guy, like you know, that has a lot of years left ahead of them, jump up and become the clear leader so you have a, a three- or four-year starter? Or? I, personally, I would. I mean, I, look, that strategy of rent a, rent a senior has worked for uh, those for programs but you know we're also talking top five programs that uh that can probably count on guys like that but you know utah 
I don't know. I, I think this will be an interesting year to see if this guy ends up taking that, that starting position. Ideally, yeah, I think, Jody, to answer your question, ideally you'd, ha- you'd like a guy to take that as a sophomore and, you know, grow. And, you know, if he has the skills as a sophomore and has the ability and the leadership, all the qualities you need, I'd, I'd, I'd take a guy like that over a, a guy that's, you know, coming in and, and giving you one year. But, you know, it all depends on if you have those guys. And, and, and if you did, I guess you probably wouldn't be bringing in some of these some of these uh, these senior transfers. But, yeah, it, it's, it is an interesting world we live in now with that, that transfer world. It is. Mike, uh, Jake Bentley comes in, 33 career starts in the SEC. How would he not be the starting quarterback? Makes you wonder, and I, I kind of wonder when I listened to the comments by Kyle yesterday when he he praised Cam Rising, and you almost think maybe he's trying to motivate the other guy a little bit, you know. Sometimes these coaches will say things, you know, for the psychological reasons. As Steve probably knows that <laughs> there's a lot of things going on there, and he, you know, maybe he did have a better day, but it's the first day, so how can say? But you know, maybe he wants to kind of light a fire under under uh, Bentley and and get him going because he might think, oh, this other guy's ahead of me. So, but yeah, I would think that just the, the he gets 500 yards passing against Clemson, you know, one of the best teams in the country. He's got to be pretty darn good. And so you'd think you want to use a guy like that over a, a trying to build your program for a year. And maybe, you know, Rising still has two more years after this. And yeah. if he can play a little bit more this year off and on, and then he still has a lot of uh, time left after that. It yeah. might help Rising's case if they had a little bit more, uh, you know, seniors in the running back and skill positions. Uh, I mean, they've lost some key players as well. So that might be, that might play in Jake's uh, favor there where, you know, they they need Need some experience yeah. back there. Yeah, I, I mean, to your point, Dirk. I think you know, being in the SEC, having that experience, I don't. That's 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 hard to to compete against. You know, for someone like Rising, having a guy in front of you know, being second fiddle to a guy like that who has that experience is, is not all that bad as well. And maybe that's what the coaching staff you know kind of anticipated. But you know, the hype is is uh, obviously I think the hype is around Cameron Rising and. Uh, I think to your point, Mike. Yeah, coaches do that all the time. You know, they're they're gonna they're always give credit to the, the the guy that's trying to push and make you a little bit better, and and you know make create those those competitive uh, you know spirits you know rise up to the occasion. But yeah, it, it this this team is interesting because it's got a lot to refuel, and there's a lot of position groups that uh, are, had you know, and that's a good problem to have. A lot of guys went to the NFL, and you got to replace some of those guys. But as we've seen, Utah does an amazing job of of just refueling, especially on defense. But Steve. Uh... You know this position as well as anyone. The secondary has been decimated. I mean, yeah. to have nine nine starters uh, move on. You know, usually they're replacing two or three guys on the D line, or maybe a corner and a safety or something like that. But there are massive holes on that defense. Do you feel like the program's at the point where they can reload, especially with nine openings? I mean, not nine's probably the most they've ever had. I, I mean, I go back just. I can't think of a year. I, I can't think of a year where they've had nine. That's 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 a lot. I think they they have proven themselves. This system, and speaking of the system, you know, you look at Utah system, and the reason they are able to reload and have success is because they have that. It's a system, plug-and-play type uh, defensive scheme. You know, is the reason why you had you know safeties and 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 that position group seemed to reload every year. Well, we were all we all benefited from the system that was in front of us and the D line as well. And, and you know D line those D line come and go and guys were coming in and having success right away and replacing the guys that left into the NFL because of because of the system. And it's 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 something that uh, these coaching staff obviously the coaching staff knows really well. 
And and now I think and, and as we all know as fans, former player, what Coach Winningham wanted wants that as a, as an offense, right? You want to have it on both sides, and that's when you start becoming that elite team. You have a system in the defense. You've been trying so hard to get that system on offense. You've had so many offensive coordinators come and go. Quarterback, not to mention the quarterback situation, but you're only as good as the coordinator in front of you to to create that system. So I think it's 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 harder. It's going to be harder to replace if they lost nine starters on offense. You know, that's that's like catastrophic, but. Since it's a defense and they've already had that system in place, I'm not as worried about that. But, you know, offensively, it's that second year to kind of create that system that Ludwig wants. I think you, you touched on it in your your story today in, Desert, in the Deseret News, Dirk, and as Steve was mentioning, Andy Ludwig coming back, I think that's the biggest offensive returner the Utes have because they've had such instability in the offensive coordinator position for so long. And so this is a, a really a good good opportunity for him to establish himself. And he has a guy like Cam Rising that he's been working with behind the scenes you know, for a full year. He's worked with all these other guys. So I I. I think that is a really positive, and Witt even said that. He's like, there's there's not that learning curve that we were facing last year, so that's really huge for them to kind of hit the ground running in spring instead of starting over. Mike, you have any takes on uh, spring ball and what they need to accomplish other than finding some answers? There's obviously uh, a big recruiting class. Most of them aren't coming in until summer, um, and they're going to have to get their act together and be ready to go by fall. Yeah, I was I was noticed, though, about the, the loss of Max Tupai and uh, – Sione Lund, you know, the two guys with experience are both not playing, and I, if that's just for the spring, I guess that's okay, but that was kind of a concern to me. I'm thinking they don't have anybody coming back on defense, and two of the guys that they do have coming back are not playing, so that's always a concern, and hopefully those two guys will be back at some point. But otherwise, you're just going to have to count on these young guys, some of them right out of high school, and just have them develop quickly, and they have that from now until September to develop, and we'll see what happens. Well, and I think we all think the world of uh, Morgan Skelly, and we just hope he gets some sleep the next couple months. Yeah. (laughs) Scally. Come on, Scally. A lot on his mind. (laughs) Steve, uh, right here, uh, just tell us a little about the foundation. You've got some events coming up, and uh, what can our listeners do to help? Yeah, so um, as as perhaps many of of them know I run a foundation after our son that we lost to to cancer about three and a half years ago. And the foundation, the Hayes, Hayes Tough Foundation after our son Hayes and, and our focus. You know, one thing I was mentioning to you, Dirk, is, you know, I was blessed enough to have a platform and and unfortunately faced a circumstance like this. And it's it's an ongoing situation where you, you deal with grief and try to make good of, of what happened. And I have this platform, my wife is, as well. And, you know, we, we, we want to make good. We want to help other people because, you know, childhood cancer is prevalent. I mean, you know, sometimes people don't understand just how prevalent it, it is. You know, uh, as a dad who lost his son to cancer, you know, you're screaming at, uh, you know, sometimes you're screaming at the news when you hear such, you know, so, you know, so much uh, news and attention over the coronavirus and you realize, okay, Pediatric cancer is killing kids way more, way more than than what you're seeing right now on the news, and, and there's no there's no outcry, you know. And we haven't made real advancements uh, in in pediatric cancer. There's been you now no real new medicine. They they basically take what the adults get and they they basically titrate it down to to the kids, and that's how they that's how they do it. And they justify it because it's not for these pharmaceutical companies. It's not a, it's not profitable. It's really not a profitable area to to go after. So we found just you know we're going to be childhood childhood cancer advocates for for that, but also for these families that are going through it that don't have a platform. That year up, my wife was up at the hospital for 150 days. You know, insurance of course covers the medical bills, but you know what about the the meals every day that you're there? 
What about the transportation costs? What about daycare? I still had to go to work. I mean, there's so many needs that these families have, and our foundation aims to provide those needs. Um, we've done everything from paying for uh, a girl who who needed uh, basically her entire teeth replaced. She lost her teeth after um, after the chemotherapy kind of eradicated her teeth. And, and so we were able to uh, provide uh, new teeth for her. We did a service dog for a boy who had way too much anxiety and, and didn't want to go to school, social anxiety. And, and so he, with the money that we uh, were able to donate to his family, he was able to get a service dog. We pay for funeral costs uh, many times. You know, when we hear of families that have lost loved ones, we'll just call and, and pay for their funeral costs because that's, let's be honest, that's the worst thing that nobody wants to pay for funeral costs. So um, that's what we do. We pay for vacations of, of kids that perhaps are on on hospice, we sent them off. And it, that's what we aim to do. We, we try to create that emotional connection between people that are donating to our foundation and the people that we are ha- that, that we are helping with the foundation at Hayes Tough. Um, we do a 5K every year. And on, uh, this year, our 5K, we pushed it back. We always used to have it on uh, on their birthday, which is coming up. But um, I'm speaking of the triplets. Hayes was a triplet. Um, so we usually had it on their birthday, but we, we pushed it back to April 25th this year. And um, so that would be the, the, the day of the 5K. And what we do is we, we typically bring two or three families there that we end up giving a grant to. But more than anything, it's, it's, it's a, a way to be a part of something special to you know be a part of a community that that's trying to help others and lift them up in a time of need um, and then we also do a, a gala every year but you know those are the ways and uh, that, that people can that are listening can help out you can go to haystough.org and donate or, or take part in one of these events that we have and see what we're all about appreciate it Steve uh, you know I can I can attest and speak for everybody in here this is a good man here and uh, he fits his uh, muscle behind something we should all follow the lead so you and your wife done a great job bringing attention to this and I appreciate that and I agree with you that it's amazing that something else catches the, the media attention yeah it's heartwarming to see watch Steve on, on on Twitter I mean he's a fun follow if you're not following him follow your your Twitter handle uh, at Tate 28 yeah yes uh, but one thing that I really enjoy about maybe that's the wrong word but uh, that is uh, it touches my heart that uh, this your your cause uh, brings out the best in the rivalry, brings out the best in sports fans, brings out the best in humanity. I've seen a lot of uh, blue-clad fans yeah. supporting you and, and red and blue coming together to uh, try to, I mean, because we all love children, It's you know, and, and this is something that we would all, as fathers, we would all take on ourselves if we could, but we can't, and this is how we can help yeah. others. You know, it, it, in Hayes passed away uh, in de- December 3rd, so just after, of, of course, a, a be- well, in fact, BYU and Utah ended up playing in the bowl game right after Hayes uh, passed away. So that was the year that they were actually taking a break. But, it, you know, it, was, it, was, it came at a time when, of course, it was right before the bowl game and there was a lot of, you know, classic rivalry talk. And, you know, look, I, I know I'm, I, you know, nobody needs to tell me or remind me, but I was definitely one of the more hated Utah players by BYU fans, which I guess I I did my job right if that's if that's if that was what I was if that was what I was coined with. But look, fo- football is meaningless. You know, sports are meaningless in the grand scheme of things. I, I love it, of course. You know, I'm passionate. I, I you know I'm a former player. I, I coach my sons. But when you when you're dealing with something like this, and and what the reality is of how many people are dealing with this, you know, that's it's it's crazy. And and I remember, you know, that's why 
perhaps my tone has changed a lot over the years, is especially what I've been through with when it comes to this rivalry. You know, I love the rivalry; it's great. But you know, if we can't have the perspective enough in our life to realize just how little of importance it is or should be when in the grand scheme of things, right? It's your family, it's your health. You know, football is an outlet for you, and that's what it, what it should be. But you know, when we start using the football as our top priority and it, it's driving us emotionally, and we should, we should all probably take a step back and realize what's important in life. And you know, I try to do that. Uh, I try to do that around remind people of that maybe bronco is onto something putting football at the, as the <laughs> yeah, <fifth right>. priority <laughs> yeah well said guys hey uh, get ready to wrap this up uh, jody utah by five yeah we every wednesday you can subscribe to the ute insiders newsletter uh just go to deseret.com and search for the newsletters uh it is delivered to your inbox every wednesday night this week we're going to dive into a, a little bit of the nfl combine and look at the uh, the hype surrounding Javelin Guidry and he, all the I mean he was the man at the NFL Combine running a four point two nine forty and I know that he was disappointed in that because he had his sights set on on the fastest uh, forty time ever which is four point two two but his uh, he was we're gonna go into five different aspects of his performance at, at the Combine my most impressed I was most everybody's talking about his forty time he pumped uh, he did he did twenty one uh, reps on the bench press which was right around i think that was what lecky photo did as well so that's impressive for a, a corner so don't tick lecky off i don't need him coming down here <laughs> well i'm not as scared as lucky now now i'm, I'm more scared of javelin <laughs> you could probably catch <laughs> anyway subscribe we have a lot of fun it's a lot of good information and insight and entertainment at deseret at deseret.com newsletters Mike, uh, any final words? What else is going on up on the hill? I guess the women, uh, well, the women are playing tournament this week. They're in the 8-9 game, uh, so starting this week in Las Vegas. And so if they win, they get to play, I guess, the top team in the league, whoever that is, that Stanford. And so that, they got the their Oregon work cut Ducks, out from them. Oregon Ducks, right. Yeah, there's always there's some great teams in that league. So they got their – and just one last word about Ryland Jones. You know, was, the poor guy's had a tough two or three weeks. He gets his shin ruined. Not, he got an injury in the game against USC in the last minute, and then Verdi came out and played. And so and this last time he got his, his head knocked around against uh, Cal. And apparently right now the, the coach just said he's a ways away. So we'll see if he plays this weekend or in the tournament. But the, the kid's had a rough year with a lot of injuries. A very tough kid. But uh, the youths really need him, and hopefully he can play. You know, I've been watching Steve while you said that because being a Skyline Eagle, talking about an Olympus Titan, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, you're youth brothers now. Yeah, right? well, I'm actually, you know, it's, sad, it's crazy how the world, how this happens. I, I'm actually in the Titan boundary, so I coach my oh, son. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, wow. we're, so, yeah, it's funny. I go to the Titan, the Olympus games. And and they're all I, killing you. <laughs> my my the guys I could not my my former rivals are. Did you ever imagine being at this point? You know, you, we always hated you. You hated us. And I said the things you do for your kids, right? So exactly. I, I'm 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 still an eagle, perhaps a titan as well. I'm one of those right in between. I'm just love all around, I guess at this point. So yeah, Ryland Jones, we we know him well in the neighborhood good kid i want to uh my weekly plug for the lacrosse team another victory for uh the laxers they uh it's two in a two in a row now they went to jacksonville and beat jacksonville 15 to 11 so lacrosse team is three and two out in season they're on the road for a couple more weeks but they'll be back to play the hampton i want to say the hamptons but hampton on march 21st so good job lacrosse team. Mount st mary's this week see i know all about this stuff. <laughs> wow. wow and then umass after that right you, yes yeah. impressive okay. yeah, hey let's give a shout out to you guys are talking some high school sports so there's a, a freshman at american fork who made the varsity team with the last name of Genesee. so 
I'm going to give a shout out. Wow. To, and he he's nephew? even a Utah lacrosse a nephew fan. Of yours? No, he's a son. Ethan Guinness. Amazing. Yeah. Congrats. You you good job. That is amazing. First varsity uh, athlete for the Guinnesses since I played tennis for Kearns High School back in the day. Amazing. <laughs> that's awesome. Congrats. Yeah. That's that's big news. Hey, uh, other big news, the Red Rocks are off to another great start again. They're I think they're still undefeated, last time I checked. Yeah, and I guess they won the Pac-12 regular season title, so they got the conference tourney coming up. They are 10-0 and for the first time since 2015. Impressive. Break up the Red Rocks. <laughs> hey, uh, the baseball team uh, kind of ended the uh, trip to Texas, not on a real high note, but they're uh, they're getting their act together before Pac-12 play begins. I want to put a plug in really quick, uh, last thing. Uh, University of Utah football program does a coach's clinic every year, and this year their special guest speaker is Teddy Atlas, wow. boxing manager. Nice. And uh, I talked to Coach Witt about him yesterday, and Coach Witt you know, grew up in that era that I can relate to, being old, smoking Joe Frazier, Muhammad Ali, and uh, he loves that era. And, and I think Teddy Atlas was Mike Tyson's manager, if I remember right. But it be a, a different change of pace here, but he also has some uh, meaningful things that cross all platforms in sports. So I encourage uh, coaches out there and their staffs, uh, attend the Utah Football Coaches Clinic, get on their website and check it out. And to meet Teddy Atlas. I feel like if your name's Teddy, you're perfect for a boxing manager, right? It's like Teddy. That's, of course, you're of course you're a boxing manager. Mick or Teddy, right? Yeah, because you could go right. Mick, cut me, Teddy. Exactly. Yeah, Mick, that works. Teddy. It all works. Hey, folks, we want to thank you for uh, listening, and as usual, we will talk to you later.